It's such a blessing to see you this morning. Uh, if you're new, what I just it's so good that you're here. It's such a blessing. And often uh, we do call ourselves an outpost church, like this church that people pass through for a while. And, and if you're passing through today, welcome. And may we send you on uh, encouraged and blessed with generosity. Uh, if you're going to pass through for a couple years or 10 or 12 years or the rest of your life, I would love to see, you know, one or two kids grow up. That'd be great. So, <laughs> Tim and Casey, it's up to you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but that it's okay, too. Um, I, I tell you what, Christine and I, uh, as we've gone through uh, pastoring Epic Life and over the years, the, the absolute toughest thing is saying goodbye to people over and over and over. And I absolutely get it. I know God moves moves us, and at some point he'll move us on as well. Uh, but it's so, so hard on our heart. And many of you as well, you know it. You understand what I'm talking about. It's so hard to say goodbye uh, to people that you love and you cherish. And the fact is, is that this isn't just some group of people that randomly gets together. We actually know each other, and we, we try very hard to know and get involved in each other's lives and help each other build each other's houses and move. And, and I don't have a pickup anymore, so I'm not available. But we do help. Dave Banks has a pickup truck, though. And uh, we help people move. We Nope, okay. <laughs> Tim has a new truck. Oh, yes, there we go. So he needs to use that if you need to move. But uh, we, we just, we got, we got to love each other for the time we have each other. And so, so let's do that. And, and however long God has us here. So such a blessing. And uh, this morning, I am, I'm super excited for what God has, has shared here. Uh, but I do want to just celebrate the Martinez, Martinez, how do you say that plural? The Martinez's, the Martinez's. Um, Hector and Angelique got married yesterday right here, so that's pretty awesome. They're on a, a short honeymoon, and uh, I'm sure we'll see them off and on throughout this, this month. And, uh, and we're also uh, um, encouraging and blessing uh, 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 this month. We're going to talk a little bit about the giving room, a little more about the giving room than, than usual. It's our food bank, our giving room, a space where people can encounter the gospel and encounter friendship and then also get some groceries. And that just happens here on a Monday. If you haven't heard about this, uh, this is the first time. You're welcome to partake in that. You're welcome to serve and be part of that. A lot of you do serve. And thank you for that and served for many, many years. And we always need more people to be part of that ministry. And, and it's just uh, somewhere around 9, 10 a.m. on Monday through 2 or so, and there's some spaces for people to drive on Thursdays and Fridays and get food and bring it back here. And there's a lot of organizations and, and grocery stores and organizations that provide the resources of food. And we're not, I'm not talking about just, just cheap, you know, graham cracker boxes or something like that. There's like food, like steak and, and chicken and a lot of meat and a lot of vegetables and fruit and all kinds of stuff and I'll, of course probably graham crackers too so uh as such a, a blessing so if you want to be part of the giving room and you want to step into that actually raise your hand if you've ever helped if you've even helped one day raise your hand with it. all right so you join this crew all right and and come and and sign up for the the giving room and i don't see sam and peter i saw sam earlier so they're downstairs with the kids all right so so pat and ron they're your people this morning Right here, raise your hands, Pat and Ron. You got to talk to Ron if you want to get in to the giving room. And I tell you what, it's where all the cool kids are, so that's where you want to be as well. Um, 
man, I was studying the Bible this week and, and just preparing. And I mean, how cool is it that I get to, for a living, study the Bible? I mean, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Uh, and I was, and I was sometimes when I'm studying and I hear like what God wants to say on a Sunday morning, I, I get kind of excited about it. And like, I don't know, you get that exciting, like, man, something's going to happen tomorrow. I can't wait for this. And, and just kind of get excited. And I kind of jump up and down in my office sometimes on a late Saturday and just like, yes, thank you, Lord. I love what, you, what you're doing here and what's available. And so, um, so I hope this morning is just a blessing. And it's something that we can look at our place in life right now and see how God's using us in the future, how he used us in the past, how he's using us in the future. If you're new this morning, uh, just thank you for being here uh, and part of our community. And I'd love to know you and, and share some coffee with you. I know a great coffee shop that we can go to uh, called Pilgrim. Uh, and so anyway, studying the Bible, um, we've been talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. You don't know about Ezra and Nehemiah, by the way, online. It's so good to have you here this morning. And and um, a lot of it is figuring out how to communicate with you that, that are online. And you'll watch it throughout the week. A lot of you are watching this morning and how this space works here and online. And we want this whole thing to be part of the community of God. The building's not the church. The people are the church. And so we want to touch you and maybe just touch you through the lens here as well. Um, the lighting is kind of off because we lost our lights a, a week ago. Still trying to figure that out. So hopefully you can see. I hope this connects with you as well, and we can be a blessing uh, to you in the future. So Ezra and Nehemiah, if you know the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, actually, three books in the Old Testament, they kind of go together, and we've been studying through Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm not going to give a lot of history this morning because it just takes too much time, and you got to go back and listen to some sermons for that. And we're going to jump right into the, the life. Um, and so just a, a small, small touch. Uh, here's the children of Israel. They're in exile in Babylon, and, and Jeremiah said, hey, when you're in exile, don't mope around and drag your, your faces on the ground in moping slavery, but actually um, invest in the land, invest in Babylon, and do something, become something. Plant gardens, get married, have kids, and thrive. And the idea of having kids is thriving where you're at, where God has sent you, instead of going, oh, the world's terrible, I'm not going to have any kids. And so so they were like, thrive. And Jeremiah said, thrive. God wants you to thrive. And so they did. They thrived. In fact, the children of Israel thrived in Babylon in uh, the fortress of Susa. And you see Ezra kind of come up and a guy named Zerubbabel and Ezra who went off and built the, the temple. And Ezra came and, and taught them the, the, the law, uh, taught them the Torah. And, and then uh, uh, Esther kind of happened in that space as well with a king named um, Artaxerxes. Uh, or Xerxes, I mean, and in that space, uh, there was a guy named Mordecai who came to Esther. You probably know this story. He came to Esther and said, Esther, there's a moment that the, the children of Israel are, there's a moment right now is an important moment, and perhaps, perhaps you were chosen to be queen for such a time as this moment. And Mordecai encouraged the queen then to go to the king and save the children of Israel from being uh, eliminated um, completely. And then a man named Nehemiah came up in the, the kingly ranks, and he became the, the cupbearer of, of King Artaxerxes, the son of Xerxes. And uh, the cupbearer was really the number two, the, the most, actually the most trusted person in the kingdom for the king. He trusted this man not to poison him. He trusted this man to take care of him, to be aware of the surrounding, aware of the courtyard. He wasn't just carrying around a glass of wine the whole time and, uh, and waiting on the king. He was more than just a waiter. 
most trusted man in the kingdom. And so, and, and so we're in Nehemiah, and last week we talked a little bit about persecution, and I found those verses that I missed last week, and I'm just going to share those with you this morning as well. But here in, in this passage, Nehemiah, this is so excited. And so sometimes when I'm excited about the word of God, I talk a little too fast. And so I might do that. So listen fast. You turn your hearing aids up, your fast hearing aids up, and listen fast. I've got a lot to say and just want to share this with you. But it is exciting. It's the word of God, the testimony to us from God on high that gives us. And, and every time we're looking at the Old Testament, remember when we look at the Old Testament, we want to look towards the New Testament. We want to see Jesus out of the Old Testament. <laughs> and it's here, even in this passage. So beautiful. <clears throat> Still fighting some tears off here. So, so Mordecai says to Esther, perhaps you have been appointed for this position for such a time as this, as this. You realize every time we look at the Bible and we see these characters in the Bible, that there's, there's moments, we see moments of their lives. That's it. We don't know anything else about Nehemiah. Just this short moment of his life. It's about 12 years, I suppose, that we see of his life. But the, the big action happens in a short amount of time. Esther, short time. Ezra, this, this moment. Zerubbabel, this moment. The, the, even David, we know so much about him, maybe more than anybody else in the Old Testament. But we really know just a moment of his life. Perhaps, perhaps, Mordecai said to Esther, perhaps you've been appointed for such a time as this. Such a time as this. So I like to see things visually. And uh, um, history and time is kind of this bizarre thing that I can't, I can't really visualize, right? You ever see those things that they zoom out from a person and go into space, and you see the grandness and the tininess of that person laying on a lawn, right? Or our, our earth, this, this gigantic earth that we live on is, is pretty much nothing, it's, a, it's not even a speck in the universe, right? And so I got to see things visually because time is that way. Time is this thing that I can't quite comprehend. And so we kind of we kind of put time in this this idea of history, right? So I hope online you can see this. Is my mic rubbing on? Okay, so I look at time as this history, this expanse of history, future and past. It's just history, right? And it's all these things that people have done, and we all kind of live inside of this time. And it goes and goes and goes. And so we, we separate time a little bit like this. We have history, the past, and we have the future. And I'm going to go that way for the future. I don't know if that's good for you guys, but that, that's future, that's history, and uh, that's what's in the past. And, and so we kind of have this, this idea of, of, of what's in the past. And, and we come about and we don't, how we really can figure it out is this is where we are, right? Oh, right here. So we're in this moment, and history is somewhere down there, and the future is somewhere up there, and we're somewhere right there, right? And this is the moment. We're in this moment right now. Many of you live in a moment, and you know what the moment is in your life right now. You know it. Um, You may be really, really sick and dying, and you know there's a moment that there's some words that need to be spoken. You may be starting a business. And you know the moment in that business where it's going to set the trajectory of the rest of the business. You know that you've just gotten a job. And you know there's a moment that you've gotten that job. And, and how you act and behave in the beginning of that job is going to set the trajectory of the rest of your career, maybe. Maybe there's a moment in school. 
when you're in college or in high school, maybe elementary even, then there's this moment that you're sitting there and you're realizing that this moment, this turn, this is going to turn, and it's going to set the trajectory of my future, whatever that is. And we're sitting here in this moment, and it's, it's right in the middle of history <laughs> all the time. In fact, every, I would say every moment we are in the moment that changes the trajectory of what's to come. Every moment. We're living in this moment, history and the future, and we're this dot in the middle of history, the power to change the course of history. You know, somebody who's changed the course, you have to see this, right? You have to understand that this is what's happening in your life right now, right now, and then this afternoon, and as you're driving down the street. There's moments. So I would encourage you, if you, you hear anything from this morning, realize that every moment that God gives you is a moment to change the trajectory of the future. And, and the course of people's lives, like other people around you. Somebody who's changed the trajectory in my life is my mother. I just got back from Idaho, drove over there really quick on Wednesday. I know I say really quick, it's seven hours, but I drove over to Idaho and back Wednesday to Friday uh, so I could see my, my mother and father. Uh, my dad is has late stages of cancer, and, and it seems like maybe six months to live. And so we want to go over there as much as we can in the next uh, months, especially this next year. Uh, but sitting around and talking with my mother and father at the table and just listening to them. and there's, there's sometimes, something, sometimes it's like all of history culminates down to this point, and then everything kind of spreads out on this side. It's like this, this bottleneck. The bottleneck is sometimes this negative term, but it, it is a bottleneck. Everything kind of here and squirts out here. You know, it's like the, this moment of time, and I see that in my parents. We were talking about that. My father was an only child in an abusive, alcoholic uh, uh, family of history of alcoholism and history of abuse, and my mother was a, a, a the second daughter of a two-daughter family, and her sister had no kids. And so my mother and father got married with that, with, and it was the end of the family, of this family, and whatever was to happen. They had four kids, and now there's 24 grandkids and great-grandkids adding on to that. And they were just talking about this moment, the, the change because of their marriage, because of them coming together, God bringing them together, and, and, uh, uh, them giving their lives to Christ at 25 years old in a little tiny town in Grangeville at a new church there that changes the tra- trajectory of their family and the 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 um like the perspective of the the name carpenter in in that family and the difference of understanding and respect and awe and, and just the wonder of of life and and uh, generosity and and being part of people's lives and they have changed so many lives because of what Christ did in their heart. But this morning, my mom and I talk a lot about my dad actually, but but it is Mother's Day and I just want to say, some or Proverbs thirty one says says uh, a woman of valor, a woman of of preciousness, of beauty, of righteousness, of virtuousness. Who can find that woman? It's like that, that woman is rare. It's like, like rare like rubies, like jewels, like precious jewels, like jewels of jewels, like the, the, the pile of jewels, but the special one in the pile of jewels. Like who can find that woman? 
And I see that with my mom as I, I think about her and I think about what she has given to us over the years. And maybe you can think about your own mom this way. And I say this kind of stuff knowing that, that throughout our lives, we saw a lot of kind of difficulties in our, in, in our lives growing up um, as my mother and father figured out how to be married, figured out how to be Christians in a marriage. It wasn't always easy, um, but it was good. My mom, she continued. Man, if there's any word, she continued. She didn't stop. And I, I realize that as I say this, some of us don't have great examples of moms, right? And so Mother's Day kind of hurts. Or, or we have this pain of Mother's Day, and it's, this isn't a Mother's Day sermon, all right? I'm going to just talk about moms for a little bit. We have this pain of mothers that kind of, kind of, ah, it has that effect. We don't know what the word is there, right? It's just, this, ah. Um, and there's a lot of hardship. We're in moments that are hard. We're in moments that are, we don't know what's happening. And my mother found herself in those moments. And if you're watching, mom, you found yourself in those moments, I know. I know as a little kid, um, and, and I say all of this with great respect to my parents, all right? Know that. I know as a little kid, my brothers and sister and I would lay on the banister on top of the house my mom and dad built. We built from the ground up. And we'd lay up there and leaning over the banister and down around the corner in the kitchen, mom and dad would be arguing. We didn't know what it was about as kids. We just heard it, right? And, and, and many of us do hear, do hear that. And my dad had no idea how to be a a husband. He had no idea how to be a father, really. His example was was very, very bad. My mom had an idea, but she didn't know how to be a wife to a man like that at that time. And they grew. But what I love about mom is that she continued. You know, in our moments, what's important is that we continue and we don't stop. She exemplified. She she showed us um, how to continue, not, and not just in secret, but in, in, uh, in among the family. She talked and she shared and she continued to lead us. She continued to bring us to church, to into the family of God, into the space of God where, where we would learn and see her playing the piano and, and leading a Sunday school and teaching youth and, and being around. And when we got her to be youth, having people in her home all the time having people in her home. She trained us. She, she didn't just hope that we learned something uh, vicariously through a book under our pillow or something like that if we're sleeping. She trained us, intentionally trained us. I mean, not all the time. Sometimes she just opened the front door and said, get out of here, I'll see you tonight. <clears throat> we went on the mountain, trained us, right? But often she was just training us and showing us and maybe even not intentionally, but intentionally in her own mind, in her, in her own life, right? The Bible Bible tells us to hang the word of God over the mantles of our house, and she did that in so many ways, um, uh, physically, but also just the way she spoke and the way she exemplified and trained us was beautiful. Beautiful. She gave and she gave and she gave. She didn't keep, she gave. She didn't keep everything to herself, but she continued to give, and she was busy. She wasn't an idle woman. Mom, you were never idle. And something I learned from you is continue to go. She's still at 78 volunteering at the, the thrift store downtown and going into town and blessing people and helping people, and they were part of the church for years from the beginning through for 50-some years, part of the church in, in Grangeville, Idaho. She was busy and not idle. 
Who can find a woman who is virtuous and capable? She is more precious than rubies. My mom changed the course of history. She changed the course of history. The thing is, we can change the course of history for good and for bad in our moments. And mom, you changed the course of history. You changed it so that Christine and I could come and plant a church in Seattle, Washington, so we could get to know the Clarks and send them to New York. Well, they'll change the history for someone else there. Their kids, their church, we got to see so many people come through this space, and we were at the wedding last night thinking how many weddings we've been able to be part of in a small church in North Seattle, right? How many weddings and children and people? We see the course of history has changed because a mom in the rural wilderness of Idaho coming out of Seattle or coming out of, uh, out of California and into 80 acres in the mountains where they hacked the living out of the wilderness, right, literally. Thanks, Mom. Thank you for doing that. Your example to me is great. And my prayer is that that example continues on into my children. And, Mom, if you're here this morning, hear these words of encouragement, not discouragement. There are going to be tough times, and you're going to look around and go, gosh, my kids, I'm a failure. Gosh, what happened here? I'm a failure. I'm not giving it enough. I'm not doing enough. I have this and that, and I've left. I've ran. I've, I've been idle. I've not been. Yes, we all have. But you're also a mom before God, one who forgives and loves and cares and cherishes, cherishes you and sees the difficulty, sees the harm that this world brings upon us, and he knows that. And his righteousness and his grace is sufficient for you as well, mom. Moms change the trajectory of lives. So I have three things I want to just talk about here a little bit. and We're going to get into Nehemiah as well. But in the moment, in this moment we have, I just want to write this down, this moment that we have where you're, you're stuck here in this spot and you know there's a spot and every moment is a spot. Sometimes they're just more, they're just more tangible, right? So number one, I just want to encourage you to seek wisdom. Seek it. Seek it. This is different than just wandering around looking for somebody to tickle your ears or agree with you. You know how many people who have come to us since we opened the coffee shop and said, hey, how do I open a coffee shop? Right, Justin? I mean, I have probably 50 people, and they sit across the table from me, and they're like, I want to know how to open a coffee shop. And shortly into the, the conversation, I realized that they've already decided how they're going to open the coffee shop. They just want somebody to agree with them. Happens in church planting as well. In the 15 years we've been here, 14 years, we've had 50, 100 church planters come to us and sit across the table from Christine and I, like, how do we do this, man? We want to learn from you. You're like the old gurus. I'm like, hold it on the old guru, okay. But we're like, we want to know. And shortly into the conversation, we realize they already know how they're planting the church. They're just looking for somebody to agree with them. When I'm talking about seeking wisdom in the moment you're at, seek wisdom. The Bible talks about, like, pursue it. Pursue wisdom, it will be found. Pursue it, look for it, cherish it, um, dig for it. Look, look into the field, look under the rocks and the trees and, and dig it up and look for it. Look for wisdom, seek for it. Don't look for somebody to agree with you, but look. Because when you discover wisdom, the trajectory of lives will change in such a way that will glorify and honor God. 
Oh, how beautiful is that? When you come to that moment, seek wisdom. And also when you come to that moment, I just want to encourage you to be ready. To be ready. You know, the thing is, we just live our lives unready. We, <clears throat> you know what this is? Yeah, you know what this is. This is a power cord, right? I mean, we walk around as Christians going, look at me. I got the power. I got the power. <laughs> Whatever that is, you know. That was bad. Uh so this is a really good rap song, by the way. You should listen to that. And I, I got the power. And so we, we carry this around. We have this slung over our shoulders, and we're like, I got the power, people. Right here, follow me. I got the power. I got it. You know what's really cool about these new power lines? You can look at this one, and there's a little light in there when it's plugged in. You know what? This is worthless. Worthless, and we carry around our little Jesus on our shoulder, and our little Bible, and our little church, and our little Christianity on our shoulder, and saying, "I got the power, people," but we do not plug into the source. And this thing hanging around our shoulder is just dead weight to us. It's dead weight. We carry it around. Pretty soon, people know. They look at you, and they're like, oh, "No, nah, no power there." They look good, but no power. When it's plugged into the source, what's plugged into the other end then will work constantly. Plug into the source. John 15, such a wonderful verse, a chapter. It talks about Jesus being the, the vine. Right? Plug into the vine. In fact, when you plug into the vine, what grows out will be beauty and wonder. Driving back across from Idaho to Washington, if you want to drive an amazing drive, do that drive in the springtime. Wow, it's green, it's beautiful, everything's budding and growing, and the valleys and the hills and mountains, it's just remarkable, the growth and the beauty. And that's what Jesus says in John 15, plug into the source, plug into the vine so that when you grow, it'll be beautiful and wonderful and actually amazing. And you are changed the trajectory of everything coming because you plugged into the source. And you know what happens also in John 15? In John 15, Jesus says, since you're plugged into the vine, they're going to hate you. They're going to come against you. The same chapter, everyone, Jesus goes from talking about plugged into the source to talking about hating you. And in fact, if people hate electricity and when you plug into electricity, they're going to hate you. What you're plugged into, they're either going to love you or hate you when you're plugged into Jesus. Our world's going to end up hating us. And so we have John 15, but can I just read? light of that, this psalm that we know, Psalm 23, in light of that, the Lord, he's my shepherd, and he's actually all that I need. You hear this? The Lord is my vine. He's all that I need. And he lets me, I mean, he lets me rest in green meadows where he leads me beside peaceful, still streams, and he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley and I'm persecuted and touched and hit and, and abused from the enemy, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I won't even be afraid. For you, cho uh, for you are close beside me, and your rod and your staff, they protect me and comfort me and guide me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemy. Why would I be afraid of that? You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing, and surely goodness and 
unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. Go back just a little bit there. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. In your moment of life, God has appointed you. He's given you an appointment. Some of you know that appointment really well. Mom, dad, son and daughter, you know the appointment. Uh, Man and woman, you know the appointment that God has given to you that this says you have been anointed as well. If you've been appointed by God, you've also been anointed by him. God would not appoint you to do something he has not anointed you to do. And he's anointed you to do something about the future. It's not just about our small little tiny world of cocoon world and not ever open up into a butterfly. It's more. It's something for the future and for the lives of people in the future. Maybe your own kids. Maybe the own trajectory of your family. Maybe it was a bottleneck into the moment that you are right here and it's going to flourish out here. The Lord's my shepherd, and he's going to appoint us. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. You understand what that means? God's love pursues you, looks for you, even when we're not looking for him. (laughs) He's pursuing us. That is one beautiful verse. The vine, persecution. Nehemiah experienced some persecution. In fact, we, we discovered, and, and man, he, uh, he lays a smack down on these guys as well. Nehemiah uh, uh, 6 here. In Nehemiah 6.3, he says this. He says, uh, I realize they, these enemies, were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending them this message. I'm not engaged... Um, Am I not engaged in a great work? So I can't come over to you and talk with you. So why would I stop working? Why would I stop doing what I'm called to do to come and meet with you? And they sent back this message, and they're persecuting him. They're threatening him to come against him. And Nehemiah writes this note back, which we can learn from. He says this. There's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. You're just trying to intimidate us, imagining that, You could discourage us and stop the work. So I'm going to continue working with even greater determination. The persecution of the enemy in that moment even gave Nehemiah more determination to go, to be plugged in more, to maybe put um, five prongs on the other end so more people can plug into the power, right? He, He just was encouraged to continue, and he laid the smack down on these people and said, yeah, you guys are worthless, and I'm not listening to it. See ya. Click. That's how we should respond. And then he said, all it did was strengthen my hands to be strong. Well, there's a third thing here. This third thing is a little longer word, so. And I'm probably going to spell it wrong, so I'll just spell it. Perseverance. Perseverance. Continue. In our moment, what we do in our moment, we think people have actually said this to us, right? If it's God's will, it'll be easy. And that does not exist in the Bible. <laughs> in fact, if anything exists in the Bible, is that if it's God's will, this is going to bust you. And it's going to be brutal. And you're going to get to places where you're like, what am I doing here? I don't want to be here anymore. This is crazy. What, how can I affect anything? How can I do this? And I know that there is points in my mom and dad's life on that mountain and mom's life, she's going, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. But she persevered. She continued. 
They continued and continued and moved and continued. 2 Corinthians, which was the verse I lost last week. You just have to hear this if you don't know this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <sighs> wow. I'd love to read this whole thing, but go back and do some study on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the whole, the whole chapter, but verse 8. We are pressed in on every side. We have troubles, but we're not crushed. We persevered through the troubles. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Despair ends, right? We're perplexed, but we continue to go through the despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. So continue, persevere. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. We're going to persevere through the destruction. And through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Christ may also be seen in our bodies perseverance. James talks about perseverance too. It just says, hey, the, continue because it adds to, you grow and you strengthen and you discover more when you persevere. So this is, this is culminating. It's coming to a point where Nehemiah did this as well. He found himself at a point. He found himself at a spot in history, between history and the future, and he was seeking wisdom. He was ready to go. And the thing about being ready is when you're plugged in, you're ready to go. When God says, hey, it's time to go, you're able to get up and go. You don't sit around and pray for more. Perseverance and continue. So, so here's, uh, here's Nehemiah. He's getting ready. He's doing his thing. They've got, some, they've got some persecution going on. And then chapter 5 happens. And here's chapter 5. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we'll start the sermon here. All right? So start the time. About this time. What? you got to give me. Okay. About this time, some of the men... And their wives raised a cry. So they're in the middle of this persecution. And they're building the house. They're building the house together. They're building the temple. They're building the walls. They're building Jerusalem together. They're in the moment of, of constructing the house. Nehemiah has done what he was supposed to do. And he's, he's leading the people to build the wall. And in the middle of that, in the middle of the construction, he realizes and that there's, there's abuse on the outside, but there's some problems on the inside. There's some problems in the house that we have to take care of so that we can build the house. About this time, some men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families and we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields and vineyards and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs, yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough to eat and to live on. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So here's, there's some problems inside the house, right? Here's the people of God's relatives and, and family. They're, they're selling themselves to one another just to buy food, just to take care of, just to live. And it wasn't right. And Nehemiah looked at this and he was like, what? This is not right. In fact, that's kind of what the next verse says. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. He was very angry for a reason. You know what that reason was? Well, it wasn't because the world was saying, hey, let's take care of everybody. Or the world was saying, uh, um, Charging mortgage interest isn't a good thing. and Because the world is all about slavery. Enslave anybody, in fact. Enslave everybody. But Nehemiah was angry about this because of Leviticus chapter 25. 
How many of you have read Leviticus chapter 25? Everybody's like, oh, Leviticus? Isn't that the one you skip, right? Now, some of you are studious, and you didn't skip Leviticus, and you shouldn't because Leviticus chapter 25 is where Nehemiah is going. And he's saying, listen, this is wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm mad about this. In fact, just a little while ago, Ezra came with Leviticus chapter 25, and he read that to you, and now you guys are going against it. So this is what Leviticus chapter 25. Let's just read a little bit of it. Verse, verse 35 If one, this is God writing down the law for his people, his chosen people, the Israelites, and he's saying, in your chosen people group, this is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to shine and reflect me because how you treat one another will reflect me to the world. And he says this, if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident, and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit as his, at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as like, like you would a relative. It goes on down there. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty, uh, poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Instead, treat him instead as a hired worker. Pay him, in other words or as a temporary resident who lives with you, and he will serve you maybe until this year, the year of Jubilee. Circle that word, the year of Jubilee. We're going to get back to that in a second. And so what, what what's happening is they're, they're fighting with the enemy, and then there arises some problems inside the house, and Nehemiah recognizes that there's some injustices going on. This is the house of God, and this shouldn't be happening in the house of God. Relatives were profiting off of relatives. Nehemiah says, hold on, wait a minute. Put a little Leviticus in it. Leviticus chapter 25. He says, this is important and we need to read this. He says, redeem relatives from foreign taskmasters. In fact, that's what they were doing. He continues to say is that, hey, we've been redeeming these taskmasters or um, slaves from taskmasters. Verse verse 7 says, after thinking it over, um, some of your versions say, he consulted with himself. That's pretty cool. Because we, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. We just kind of act without consulting with ourselves. And sometimes we need to sit ourselves down across the table from ourselves and go, okay, we need to talk, don't we? Because yourself is going to go, I don't want to talk right now. Yeah, but we need to talk. Okay, fine, I'm here. You got my attention. We need to sit down and consult with ourselves. And so that's exactly what he did. In fact, he consulted with himself because, as we'll find out, he's guilty of doing the same thing. Nehemiah, the man, he consulted with himself. He goes, whoa, what I'm about to do is going to call me out. What I'm about to hold everybody else accountable to, I'm going to have to be accountable to it as well. And as soon as I bring it to light, everybody's going to go, what about you? You're doing the same thing, Nehemiah. You're, you're calling us? Come on. And so he consulted with himself and was like, okay, this is going to be hard. It's going to show, actually, he's going to show Nehemiah what he was doing. And I'm assuming they started to do this over the years and, and forgot that this was a rule. So they were, Nehemiah says, uh, he says in verse 8, uh, verse 7, I he said, I told them you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when, you bar- when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. And at the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives 
from those they have to sell themselves to, those pagan foreigners. But now you're selling them back into slavery again inside the family? How can, how often must we redeem them? And They had nothing to share in their defense. And then I press further. What you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to avoid being mocked by enemies, the enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the, mon the people money and grain. And now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore your fields and vineyards and olive groves and homes to them as this very day and repay the interest you charge them when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Give it all back. They replied, we will. We'll give it all back, everything, and demand nothing more from the people. We'll do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. Uh, we don't really have that available to us anymore. But how cool would it be to have this group of people like, okay, we're going to hold you to this. And if you don't do this, you know what's going to happen. I mean, we're priests of God. So, so he, he shook out his robe and he said, may God do this to you and shake out your grain so you have nothing if you don't follow through. Hmm. Hmm. So he consulted with himself. He pursued this. This is about um, representing God's reputation to the world, and that's how we should do it. And so, so he said we, we can do this. In fact, we should do this as a representative of, of God to the world. God doesn't need us to, he doesn't need us to like, uh, defend him or whatever, uh, but we are ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors and we present. So, okay, we're going to get done here. Ready? This is very tough for us to talk about because what he was not talking about is a drug-induced, government-funded, general, uh, generational abuse poverty that we have in our country and on our streets right now. There must be accountability inside the realm of the family. That's what he's talking about, inside the realm. There, he's talking about the working poor, uh, and there's proven trust inside of this. And so for us to take this passage and go, let's plant that out on the streets right here, it won't work. It won't work. There has to be more to it. And that's a bigger conversation, obviously. And there's bigger problems and issues and grace and mercy and, and love that we have to, and justice that we have to deal with there. But this is talking about inside the house of God where there's an established trust built. But often, our love of self outweighs our love for others. What do we do as Christians? John 13, just before John 15, right? He said, how are they going to tell that you are my followers? Well, they're going to tell it by the way you love one another, the way you're generous and gracious to one another. Is that how they are going to tell that you are my followers? But we love self more than our love for other people. So we got to ask the question, when we turn it to New Testament Christianity and this, this our church, is this our church or is this, is this like my church? Do I own this place? Do I own this outpost while I'm here? Is this my space or is it something that somebody else can take care of me through? How am I blessing others? Or do we go about it with how can this bless me? How do I give to the house and in the house of God, the house, the people of God? How do I do this? Or do we have this perspective of how do I take from this house? And when this house dries up, I'm going to move to the next house to get more. That has literally happened here. And you know it's happened in your own life at times. But we are from the perspective that God's given us is to give, to be giving, that this house, this is my house. And I will treat this house like my house by giving and blessing others. Those who bless others are always, always 
happier people. So what, what the, the Bible is trying to do is prevent uh, um, generational poverty, all right? It was trying to prevent this. It was trying to prevent generational greed and empire building and this generational poverty and slavery. And so there is something that he speaks about at the beginning of um, Leviticus 25 is this year of Jubilee. Every, every Sabbath of Sabbath, right? Every seven days there was a Sabbath, but every seven, seven years there was a, a Sabbath year that they left their crops completely fallow and didn't do anything with them. But then every seven years and seven years, there was a 49th year that was the, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was, hey, everything goes back to where it was. Reset. Incredible. And it kept generational poverty from happening and kept generational slavery from happening. In fact, family groups would own a, a land, a house and a land, and they could mortgage that off to somebody else, but the year of Jubilee, everything went back. Everything was wiped clean. Everything was reset. Beautiful. It was just a, a beautiful way to do it. You could only do that inside the family of God. So it, 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 the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, really, it had this, uh, this perspective of keeping, preventing greed and empire building, preventing generational poverty and slavery, but it also provided this economic structure for the stability of society, ownership, and being able to own, being able to work and, and produce for yourself. Um, it also provided a peaceful living for the whole people group because they knew the rule, and this was what's going to happen. So when they mortgaged a piece of land, they would bump it up against how far away from the last year of Jubilee and how far to the next year of Jubilee, and that's how they would come up with a price tag for that time. And so when it was reverted around, that price tag would drop off, and everybody would go back to now being able to care for themselves again. What a great year, year 49. Actually, year 50 was at the end of year 49 into year 50. This, what it did, actually, was demonstrate God's mercy, the whole thing. It was this year of jubilee, of resetting, of proclaiming something new, of tearing down the facades of the world where slaves are set free, debts are forgiven, dignity is returned, the blind will see, and the day of salvation is here. Jubilee actually means, it actually means a trumpet blast, like this blast. And so Jesus would say in Luke 4, get this, this is, Wow the Bible, right? Luke 4, Jesus would turn, and he'd come out of the wilderness, and he was just tested and, the, and persecuted by the enemy, and he was try, the enemy tried his hardest in his, his fasting, Jesus' fasting and weakness, and the enemy tried to get him to stumble, to, to fail, to, to sin, and Jesus walked out of the desert sin-free, righteous before uh, God and righteous before man, and he walked into the village, and he sat down in the synagogue in his hometown, and he sat down on the Sabbath day, and he grabbed the scriptures, the roll, and he opened it up to Isaiah the prophet. This is verse 17, chapter 4 of Luke. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found a place purposefully. It was Isaiah 61, verse 1. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus was in a moment in time history and the future, and there was a trajectory change right here, right now. And he was proclaiming something that the Old Testament wrote about and the people of Israel were waiting for. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he didn't just appoint me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives must be released, and the blind will see, 
both physically and even more spiritually. And that the oppressed will be set free. And then he throws verse 19 in there. And the time of the year's favor, the Lord's favor has come. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. And that is quoting Leviticus 25, verse 8 to 10. Jubilee, the shout, the blast of the trumpet. It gives me goosebumps. The year of Jubilee, when the captives are set free, dignity is returned, redemption is had, debts are forgiven, the blind see, the lame walk. It's an amazing day of salvation for all. Men and women, you are the dot in history today and tomorrow and the next day. Maybe it's just today. And there's something in your mind right now that you're like, yep, I know, God. You've already shown me. I know. And I've been saying no to you, but I know. You are the dot. You have the power to change the trajectory of your life, of people's lives around you, of a community called Nora, of a city called Seattle, of your family, of your workplace. You have the capability because the year of the Lord is on you. Right now, we don't have to wait around till the 49th year anymore. We have, the re- we have Christ, the Savior, who has given us redemption so that we can be ambassadors and pass that on to others in Jesus' name, his grace. You've been appointed perpetually. You've been appointed. And men and women, you are anointed. The Church of Jesus Christ in North Seattle, appointed and anointed. Let's go. Father God, worship you. And as Ellie brings her guitar out behind, from behind everything, I pray that, pray that we would hear your word. God, sometimes we just need this encouragement that, that you remember us. I thank you, Lord, for my mother's example. For so many years, 50-some years of their marriage, almost 60 years of marriage. I thank you for her example of continuing, of not stopping, of persevering and being ready and seeking wisdom in her life and and being this woman of God who led a family to lead families that will lead nations. And Lord, I pray that we would take our example wherever they are and we would take that moment that you've given to us And we would take it with a seriousness, gravity, like a weight on our shoulder of going, this is a moment that I've been given. I've been given breath this morning, my lungs. I put my feet on the ground, whatever bed we stepped off of. We're able to move forward. And yes, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be harm. But we will live in the year of Jubilee. Because you've given through that, that to us perpetually, eternally. God, whatever moment we found ourselves, some here this morning may not even know you as Savior. Some have been carrying a power cord over their shoulder and they look like good Christians, but they've never actually bowed their knee to you in repentance and believed. And I pray that, that would happen now so the trajectory of their lives and the people they uh, are around and the people they influence would change dramatically. That they would change their children's lives and they would respect the lives that came before that struggled in the moment that they were given. I praise you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good. I pray that in this moment we would respond to you 
and what you're calling, you're pressing on our heart to respond. That we would not take that and put it on a shelf and become calloused towards the pressure that you put on us. Lord, may we be humble before you, repent, and come before you, and walk before you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand, I want to encourage you, or sit, or kneel, um, I want to encourage you to enter into some song here, but respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying on your soul. Amen. Um, I try to live a life of being in the moment. And so often you, you might see me, I might be meeting with you and trying to be in the moment, but if the meeting gets too long, I'm going, what's next? What's the next moment, you know? And I got to really, really struggle with that because I want to be in the moment, but I also see another moment happening, right? And there's lies, but it's one of the reasons that wherever I'm at, and a lot of you are the same way, where the, wherever you're at, you're on the train, you're in a restaurant, and something just sparks in you. It's like, go say something to that person. Go encourage that. Go give to that person. Just be generous. I'll take care of you. Go do it. Go go apply for that. Go, go step into that. And I just want to live that way because most of us live like this. The future... The future just hits us, right? <laughs> Yikes. Didn't expect that to happen. We got impaled in her back of her head. We just let the future hit us, right? Kind of chaotically. All right, that helped, right? So I just want to encourage us not to let the future just hit us chaotically. Just be in the moment, all right? I'm glad that that wasn't worse. Would have been a good life lesson, so a lot of trust. Let's pray. Father, you're so good, and I just worship you, and uh, I, I just want to be sensitive to those who are really hurting. And, and this morning, it's quite possible that many of us have been in a moment, and we've said yes to God, and now there's just so much pain in it. And it feels like you've abandoned us in the darkness in this valley, and the, the sun has set, and it, yeah, it has gotten darker. And Lord, in those moments, I pray that we would be able to hear that, that tender whisper, the blessing of you, and we would be able to see in the darkness as your, your light shines. Go with us, and I pray that we can just hear stories about standing in the moment and seeing the, the future, the trajectory change. And mom, thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a fantastic week, you guys.